Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jill. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hi. Hi. Hello. How is your entire day <laughs> you said you were having some wild weather yeah it's been hailing raining sunshiny windy af we had at one point when i was looking at the weather it, we had four warnings for snow on the road severe swells heavy wind heavy rain and thunderstorms and i'm like cool um, anything you've not warned us about there in that concoction so basically it's a crowded house song yeah totally we have had sunny nice ish weather but it was warm enough that the kids pestered us to get the paddling pool out Aww. which was a great thing to do because we had a planned power outage so they couldn't watch television and who knew that my kids were as addicted to needing tv and wi-fi as much as they are everything is on wi-fi everything is tv i can't watch this i can't do that what can i do mom uh, sit outside and stare at the clouds like we did when we were children. <laughs> I literally walked into my daughter's bedroom and I was like, I'm pretty sure there's a thousand books in here, including the ones that you gave her that are still in mm. her bedroom waiting to be read. She's almost aged into all of those Meg Cabot books. I'm really excited about this. There's so much. I'm like, why are you not reading? Oh, I just want to play my iPad. <sighs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> did anything spark joy for you this week? What sparked? It's been a very busy week, very intense mm. week. I've been very unwell, so it's mm. been a bit of a challenge. But we do have kittens in the house, and they are very Yay. cute, despite being very allergic to them. Uh, it turns mm. out that three cats are worse than one cat. I was arrogant to my belief that it wouldn't make a difference. It was hard to tell at first because I was so sick. So I'm like, am I sick or is it the allergies? But it was yeah. both, um, which I only really noticed when I started going back to work again because I was off sick. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm so much better. I can breathe when I'm not in the house. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, um, But no, they're very cute. They're very cute. Um, it's been a time. It's been a week, mm. but they're adorable. So, you know, getting my that first full great. kitten experience. <laughs> they're so lovely I, and they sleep so much more than I mean cats sleep a lot but when kittens sleep it's like so complete you can just pick them up and cuddle them while they're sleeping and they just don't even notice it's great yeah Willow was when I came back from the gym today she I, I often collapse on the ground and mm. she just like curled up on my hip and I'm like cool I guess I'm just lying here now because she was having a snooze on my hip oh you've been colonized yeah very cute oh. How about you? What sparked joy for you this week? Well, yesterday I got to have coffee with our friend Mero. It was Yay. so great to see her. And it's weird because I actually met her before I met you because we work together. But I still always think of her as your friend more than my friend <laughs> because you know her so well and you like have known her for a really long time. And it was just really interesting because like we were talking about when we used to work together and caught up on like the last 12 years of lives and jobs and everything and I was just like mm -hmm. I need to see this person more often so as we parted she was like let's not like let's not do a decade in between again <laughs> I was like yeah for real cute mm. but it was just great it was just great to catch up with her and just nice to see her she's so lovely yes she is she is the best she is the best and it was nice to like go out and do something like I put a dress on because I'm like I can wear nice clothes and like I can go out and see another person it's not like the grocery store run or whatever around. yeah 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 like a little okay occasion yeah the standards are higher when you're seeing people you actually want to see <laughs> Cute. Like, I get to do something nice yeah yeah make a little event of it exactly it was good it was really good oh nice well today we're chatting about hunt for the wilder people which is directed by Taika Waititi and adapted from a book Wild Pork and Watercress by Barry Crump, who is a very famous, well-known in New Zealand anyway, author. Sold almost over a million copies, I believe, of his books over his time. So yeah, very excited to talk about this film. It's so much fun. It's very Kiwi. <laughs> I love this movie. It's definitely one of my Desert Island movies, right? You know, you have a few that you would just take. This is one of the Desert Island movies for me. Hmm. 
Um, I'll read the synopsis out, but then we can talk about what actually happens because it's really hard to explain what actually happens just through the synopsis. Like, there's so much more to it. Mm. So, The Hunt for the Wilder People tells the story of misfit kid Ricky Baker. When Ricky's foster aunt suddenly passes away, he's left alone with his grumpy foster uncle, Heck. The unlikely duo find themselves on the run in the vast New Zealand bush, evading child services and the law. They are forced to work together to survive and, despite their differences, form a bond in this hilarious and heartfelt adventure. Cute. So the cast is really great, and it's very Kiwi. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can speak to this much more than me. But I have to say that the standout for me in almost everything she's in is Rachel House. Like, she always lights up the scene. And she does dry and sarcastic very well. And here she's very, like, earnest and focused and very type A. But I'm here for it. Yeah, totally agree. I don't think this film would be what it is without her. Like, she really elevates it to a certain level and sam neill of course another national treasure oh he's great he's so like he i just love how intensely misanthropic he is Mm. and you believe it like you really believe that he is this aggravated and unwilling mentor to this kid i think just someone who has been you know kind of let down by the state to the point where he the only way to survive is to opt out of yeah. society right just so opt yeah. out of community because there's just no way of those two things coexisting for him and to have ricky who is sort of on the fringes like you know he is described as a menace to society which he really internalizes because when heck says to him you have to go back to society he's like i'm a menace to society you know yeah <laughs> bless him yeah he's sort of like a, a younger mirror to that like this idea that this yeah, is not... he's the urban mirror right yeah yeah totally yeah yeah, the um the idea of Heck being sort of a, a no hoper who Bella loved and fixed and then she finds this this kid Ricky Ricky Baker to love and fix. And like it's not that she's trying to fix them for anything of her own. She just actually wants to have a family and she can't pass up somebody who needs help, I think. She's got such a big heart. I think Heck is right when he says it's like rescue dogs. It's not that she's fixing them, it's that she's giving them a home, giving yes. them a place to belong where they can just be themselves like she's not trying to change them just yeah. trying to give them a, a means to survival yeah every time i watch this i'm always surprised that bella is only in the first 20 minutes of the movie mm. really so i mean she's there you get the sense that it's really the turning point for this kid you know you see him start out really like he walks around the property and then gets back in the police car because so he's like funny. there's nothing here i'm going back like not nah, take me back to to i assume auckland because all of the city shots were Auckland mm-hmm. um, you know you see him like it's like take me back to Auckland I don't want to be here but he ends up staying and like he finds the hot water bottle in the bed and that's sort of the first moment where he's like oh my gosh this adult might actually take care of me yeah I love I love the hot water bottle because it's such a simple act of kindness that acts as a bridge between them you know and like the way that she doesn't tell him off for running away she's just like just make sure you're back for breakfast and she's like yeah. oh I thought you were running away you know yeah it's just really lovely and I think that's why she feels bigger in her role than she is in the film because she has mm-hmm, such an mm-hmm. impact like even that very first night when she says to him I'm so glad we fi- we found you I'm sorry it took so long yeah it's just really moving yeah, that one hurt. <laughs> it hurt in a good way, though. And I think that's the, I think that's the magic that Taika has with these movies, especially the ones that are like really New Zealand centric. Boy does a similar thing where you mm. really feel it in every in every aspect when you get to the emotional resonance. Like you're, it hits harder for some reason. He just knows exactly the right note to hit. It's kind of like that whole thing about being local is global. Like by tapping yeah. into something that's mm-hmm. really uniquely true to place and to New Zealand and to these people and to his experience growing up here as well it becomes a global thing that people can really find themselves in because it's a universal emotion yeah exactly I mean we've all hungered for that community and we've all felt like we've had to really hunker down and survive by protecting ourselves and I think that that that's where heck is at I mean he feels like himself around Bella but he doesn't really want anything to do with this kid that's turned up like this is Bella's project it's her farm this is what she's doing and he loves her and and he'll do things for her, but he's he's not gonna do the emotional work with Ricky until he's actually forced to. Um, yeah. But Ricky's still young. He's not he's not tough yet, so it's yeah. easier to get him on board. I just love Heck's reaction when Bella is singing Ricky his birthday song because 
I think that really sums him up because he's like he's tolerating <laughs> it, but his face is just like, what is happening right now? And it's yes. so great. And Bella and Ricky are just like really getting into it. And he says, you know, I think this is the the only birthday I've ever had. It's just so lovely. Yeah, that's when he gets um his dog Tupac. Mm-hmm. We love the dogs. I my daughter, I I thought she was old enough to watch most of the movie, but I did send her out at the part with the wild boar with Zag because I thought this is just going to be too heartbreaking. And she actually started crying when I told her what was about to happen. And she's like, why do movies have to do this? I'm sorry. I I think specifically for Heck, the idea that Bella can reach and connect with him. And it's so rooted in acceptance. And it's so rooted in this idea of like, well, of course I'm going to love you. And of course I'm going to look after you. And of course you belong here. It's just not like he doesn't ever have to prove anything about himself. And she even reminds him like, well, look, you were, you know, a scruffy white guy who smelled like methylated spirits when I first met you. And look at you mm. now, like you're like she reminds him, like, you're not too great. So don't treat this kid badly. After he asks if Ricky has done any farm work or if he's just ornamental, which I thought was pretty funny. It's such a great line. Like, do you do any work or are you just <laughs> ornamental? I think I might start asking people at work that question. <laughs> oh, it's such a good delivery as well. It's so good. But yeah, the the idea of this acceptance, this is something that. I think Heck doesn't believe he will get anywhere else. And that's why it's really hard on him. Not, I mean, not just the loss of a partner, of, of somebody you've spent your life with, life loving, but also... Yeah, and the fact that he feels like he can't stay there, right? He talks about it being Bella's farm and stuff, and he doesn't yeah. know how to do it. Like, he, it's a loss of a home, of everything, of, you know, it's like his survival depends on him just disappearing into the bush and disassociating, basically. But yeah. you make such a good point that he can just be himself around Bella and she just sort of tolerate, like not even tolerate, she just accepts him for who he is. And that's what Ricky does as well. Right. Like he is just like, Oh, you're just grumpy, but I'm just going to go with it. And like, sometimes they say mean things to each other, but they don't mean it. Yeah. 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 I mean, all of the moments where I see Ricky growing up and growing into maturity is when he's able to get past that. Like, well, you're just being a grouch. Yeah. Like broken foot camp when his foot is broken and he like helps him up. And he's lying on the ground yelling at him and he just goes, all right, let's get you, let's get you sorted. Let's get you comfortable. And then he just helps Heck to get, you know, set up with his camp and offers to go and hunt, which is a bit disastrous. But he says to to Ricky in that moment, you know, this is all your fault. And he just goes, okay, he just goes to help him. And I feel like he's been told that so many times, Ricky, in his mm-hmm. life. You know, a kid like that has been told over and over that everything is his fault and that he's yep. no good at anything. And yeah, it's, yeah, there's something really lovely about him just being like, oh, well, let's just get on with it. Yeah, he's doing like Bella does. He's seeing what needs to be done and doing it and not focusing too much on the, you know, well, okay, if it's all my fault, that's fine. But is that going to help anything right now? Is that actually going to solve the problem? Yeah, and even after the funeral, right, he tries to make heck dinner and it's just like burnt toast, but he's tried. He is. I saw that and I was just, oh my goodness, this little baby should not have to cook for anyone. And like, it really stood out to me when he says to heck, you know, I hope you die before he breaks his foot because he's teasing him about the reading and not being able to read. Mm. He says to him, you know, I hope you die. And heck says, me too. And I think you can read that as like, oh, I hope you die. But he means himself. Like, heck doesn't actually yeah. want to exist in this world. Yes. Yeah, that's a big... I. I saw that too. I mean, he seems very despondent. Like, he's going through the motions. And this was something I noticed, especially on my second rewatch. You know, my my daughter was giggling because he wasn't even trying to hang the clothes up. He was just slapping them over the line. Mm. Like, but they were, you know, he was actually doing laundry. And I think, well, that's probably better than you would if you weren't, if you didn't care, you wouldn't even do laundry, you know? Yeah. So he's trying to do something. He's just not able to do all of the things. And he definitely doesn't want this kid around, which is fair enough. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting that social services immediately send a letter and they're like, we're going to come and collect him because the circumstances have changed. And Heck says, you know, not without a woman around to run the show. I'm like, Mm. this is so patriarchal where you're like, yeah, of course, you need a a woman to do the nurturing. A man couldn't possibly look after a child, so we will come and take them, you know, and create this conflict. And then Ricky is like, why don't we just get you a new wife? And then he says, is it too soon? (laughs) It's like... (laughs) <laughs> the day after the funeral or something. It's awful. <laughs> so soon. Oh my goodness. Um, there's something about the way that Heck defers to Bella that's really unusual, right? Mm. Like, she was the one who was in charge. She was in charge of their marriage. She was in charge of the farm. I don't even know if, like, I was like, why would he leave? Because I was like, why is he packing up? As, like, is it mortgaged? Because could he not pay? Like, I don't understand why he couldn't stay. If it was hers and they were married, it would be his. 
I think it's both the fact that she he says, you know, she was the farmer. Like, he doesn't think he can handle it. He can't cope with it. And he just, I think, emotionally can't handle being there. You know, he just yeah. can't be around her. And I don't know, there's something about that if you've been a drifter previously or, like, you're just one of those people who moves around a lot. A nomad. It's, yeah, it's hard to settle down. And if the person you're not mm-hmm. settling, you settle down for is no longer around, I understand the impulse to just leave. Just make for the hills. It's very Rambo. Which is great because there's a lot of Rambo references in this. (laughs) So many great Rambo references, including the, is it the radio presenter who's... Yeah. That's John Campbell. He's a very beloved New Zealand journalist. So I kind of forgot he was in this. Yeah, they're all actually, like all of the presenters are real journalists and presenters, right? Like they're all actual breakfast show people, aren't they? I'm not sure about breakfast because I don't know anything about breakfast shows in New Zealand, but... Probably. I'm just going off the uh, trivia on the IMDb page, which is a great resource, but not particularly fact-checked. But it does seem like it would be the sort of thing that would be something that Taika would do, I think. Yeah. I feel like New Zealand is the kind of country, it's similar to Australia, where you just have people who are like, oh, you're doing a movie and you need a breakfast presenter? Right. Well, I am a breakfast presenter and of course I'll do it. Like you feel, I feel like they say yes more because it's a small enough country that people would get a kick out of it and they know that. Also just a real kind of like, yeah, let's just get it done, can-do attitude kind of Mm -hmm. across the board. The thing that fascinated me the most is like, where did they find all these tanks, these armoured vehicles? Because (laughs) I looked this up when we had the occupation in Wellington last year and New Zealand does not have any tanks. We do not, the army does not have tanks. It was something that really alarmed me. We've got one that sits outside the army museum. So Mm. I'm like, do these just not classify as tanks? Are they too small to be tanks? Like, what is the deal with these armoured vehicles? I mean, maybe you borrowed them from us. I'm pretty sure we've got a few. I feel like that's a big thing to do to send over tanks from Australia to film a, like, indie film. <laughs> but our army has no tanks and our Air Force has no fighter planes. So why are we paying them? <laughs> Unclear. Well, because somebody has to make that bit of desert unusable for anybody other than film crew. That, that is true. Yeah. You have to do your Lord of the Rings and be worried about landmines. That is just what you have to do. Um, I I think that the synopsis, something else the synopsis really doesn't get into is the fact that they're on the run is not, like, it's not on purpose. Like, Ricky leaves. So, yeah, he fakes his own death really badly. And then they have this fight about Heck not being able to read. And Ricky, who is 13, makes fun of him. And Heck decides that he's, he just, like, cracks it. And then he literally breaks his foot. So they're in this camp for six weeks. And it looks like they've run off together. But actually, Mm. Ricky ran away and Heck was finding him to bring him back. So he was being a responsible adult there. And he just ended up with a broken leg in the middle of the bush. Which is not, like, having seen enough of New Zealand to accept that you could not get in or out of that without two working legs. Mm. Yeah, I I buy it. But then that's when they become fugitives is when they go back to the hut, the the hiking hut. And those awful hunters are there and they kind of goad them into this fight and then they have to run. And of course, Ricky says some dumb things and Heck's like, oh my gosh. I love that because all the grownups are looking at each other and Ricky has no (laughs) idea what he's saying. It's so good. But yeah, that's when they actually go on the run is after that because Heck's like, well, forget this. I'm not. I'm not sticking around to be called these names. I'm not going to be called a pervert. There's no way. Mm. So they they take off then. And Ricky escalates that situation as well. He's the one who like gets the gun mm. out and is like... <laughs> it just got real. Yeah. I love that those hunters keep popping back up. And you know that one of them, the one who's like Bubba Ganoush, he is yeah. Stan Walker, who won Australian Idol. Really? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Another Kiwi legend. There's yeah. so many great cast members in this. Like... I mean, honestly, I went through the list and I was just like, you're great, you're great, you're great. Uh, your least favorite Reese Darby shows up as Psycho Sam, which is one of my favorite roles of his. I love that Ricky says, why do you think he calls himself Psycho Sam? And then he puts the colonists on their heads to stop the government <laughs> from listening to his thoughts. And Ricky's like, never mind. I love that he does that. And then he like fixes Ricky's phone and he's like, oh, you've got four bars now. And that's what causes them to be found. He's the one who scuppers them. <laughs> Yeah, he's the one who wants to be off the grid, and yet he's the one who, yeah, classic conspiracy theorist thinking. And um, a shout out to the best vehicle in the world, which is a 1980-something Toyota Hilux, which really is an unkillable machine. <laughs> Just Ricky driving it as well. It's so great. 
so we kind of had this idea to look through the theme of survival and community, the themes of survival and community. And mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of survival just in the text. Like, literally, they're surviving in the bush without being able to go back to the house to get food. They're having to forage. Mm -hmm. They're having to make shelters. Like, they're living out of backpacks. Yeah. And there's, you know, like, Heck has the knack, which is what he calls the knack for survival, which is just knowing how to do stuff without really having to think about it because he's done it so much. Which mm -hmm. I thought was a really interesting... Yeah way to look through that lens so i was looking at like who has the knack and what is their knack and i think bella's knack is like finding someone who needs her and mm. just being willing to put in the work and knowing exactly what level of care they need so she's not like completely soft she doesn't let heck or ricky walk all over her but she somehow finds exactly what they need and gives it to them and i think ricky's knack is just being like true to himself even when it's really hard yeah he does he he's um He's never apologizing for who he is, you know? He stays true to himself. But I do love the evolution of him as well. Like, so he spins, he arrives at the farm, he comes very urban, he's got his kicks, you know, he wants to protect his kicks. He wears these hoodies that are just horrific. <laughs> just, ugh. I love that he's then, all the way up, though. That's so great. Very much reminds me of Pete Wentz's clothing label, circa 2008, where he sold hoodies that looked very much like that, inspired by like R&B and rap yeah, culture and yeah. stuff. And it was just everyone, uh, everyone was buying them, and they were just terrible. Um, that's fine. That's a whole. It was a vibe, but he starts off like that, and then by the end of the film, when he's meeting Heck again, he's wearing like clothes that are appropriate for the rural yeah. environment. He's wearing like boots and a warm he's jacket, and he's. And yeah. the flannel, the flannel's so good. And the hiking boots. Yeah. Yeah, Swan Dries, that blue and black and red and black mm. flannel is a Swan Dry, classic New Zealand brand. Um, Yeah, I, I think there's something really interesting about the community that exists in rural parts of the, the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you people live far apart from each other, there's a they build their own little insular world, but it's also like a different kind of survival. Like you have to be hunting, you have to be self-sufficient. Yeah. You know, the thing with the possums, like you're using all parts of the animals and you have to be out there and you can't be precious about things. Like even the dogs, like, yes, they're loved and they're pets and obviously they care about their dogs, but they also have a function. Yeah. They have a job yeah, to do. Zag is a hunting dog. He flushes out yeah. the boars. And yeah, they're not like inside dogs. No, no. They're not coming into the heart. They're there to like do, they serve a purpose and they, they're loved. But I, I think there's something really special about working dogs like farm yeah. dogs and the function they fulfill in terms of survival, but also in like in fostering the community around people as well. And those real rural settings, it always strikes me as really interesting. It's very different from an urban environment. Yeah. So um, as a little sidebar, my grandfather who served in the Marines and was in the Pacific during world war two, he met Australians and loved Australians and always wanted to come to Australia. And so when I was growing up, he had a border collie mix named dingo that was his farm dog Aww. and so that, that was i just always thought it was i was meant to come here really but um because i grew up with like a family dog and also dingo the farm dog it was really interesting to see how much zag and tupac dog tupac they were you know sort of like the constant companions but also they did have jobs and they were trained to do those jobs and that was like the first thing they do is work with the dog to make sure that the dog knows what they're supposed to do and not go in the house and they sleep you know they go with them on camps but they don't sleep right next to them or anything um which i i, I don't know i just really love the role of the dogs in this movie and mm. they were beautiful puppies i know it's very sad i always forget it's gonna happen and then when it happens i'm like oh no i know i know i like i said I had to send my daughter out of the room for that one as she would not be okay with it such a clear example of survival yeah. though right because heck is so overcome he, he jumps in there and he's trying to protect his dog and then the boar is charging him and then ricky has to jump in there and actually kill this pig and that's a big deal for him like when he first saw bella doing it he fainted yeah. from the, the gore of it right and it's a very messy thing and these pigs are huge yeah and yeah yeah don't don't tangle with wild with feral pigs they're literally they will kill men this is why yeah, <laughs> if you see one, get up a tree and stay up the tree. Honestly, just no thanks. But yeah, I love that. That this is one of the best things about the farm. I think that Bella has just taken survival as it is, and like she's just very cheerful about it. Like she's doing the, she's taking the fur off the possums. She's talking to Ricky about all the stuff that he sees, and she she's just very philosophical. But then when she gets the the opportunity to 
to hunt for dinner and it's just right there she's like oh that's it it's dinner sorted and, you know she says this that she's covered in blood and her cat sweater is like drenched in pig blood but so you get this like really striking like oh this maternal motherly figure who's able to like kill a wild pig with a knife but like it's part mm. of caretaking it's like survival as well as community because food is part of community and providing is part of community yeah totally but then it's also really sad when you have her funeral and there's only like five people there. Yeah. Oh, and I remember reading a while ago that this, the, cause Taika does his, his cameo as the preacher, that this was actually like really similar to a funeral service or something that he actually experienced in real life. Like he actually went to a funeral that was like this with this sort of sermon or message. It's like, that would be so like, can you imagine going to a funeral where nobody actually knew the person that you loved and they just did this random speech about, Burgering Jesus. That's so funny, though, when he's like, can you guess what's behind the second door? <laughs> and someone just goes, Jesus. He's like, no, not Jesus. And, like, the, Ricky says vegetables, and he's horrified <laughs> at that. But that it's the logical comparison when one door has snacks yes. behind it. Um, and then he's like, and there's a second door, and what's behind the second door? And it's Jesus. Yeah, uh, Jesus, true. He's tricky like that, Jesus. Like, it's so good. I just feel like you woke up and did not have anything prepared that day. Oh, man. Yeah, and then Heck is like, I'm just going to leave. Which is also reasonable when you feel like uh, uh, funerals and things like that, you know, they're, they're for the grieving. That's not necessarily about the person who's died yeah. because they, they're they not, it's not for them. Yeah. So if you're in the situation where no one else is really, you're not getting anything from that sense. There's no sense of community. Nothing is coming from yeah. it. So I think I too would just leave. Yeah. Poor man. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think Heck has anyone else at that point. No. And neither does Bella, right? Because he says to Ricky later on, he, she didn't know where she came from. Like them, she didn't have anyone else. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. She tells Ricky this story about how she's from way up in the mountains, about Lake Makatekahu, so high up at what's the cloak of the sky. And they actually go to this lake later. And, and Ricky's like, is this where she's from? And, and he's like, no. Well, later he says, no, she was from nowhere. She just made that up. But I wonder if that was her way of like placing herself in that world, in that, in that community, in some kind of community, not knowing where you're from, not having any idea about who you are. I mean, this is something we see Rico, Ricky grappling with, right? Like he carries around that picture of his mom and her school schoolgirl uniform. She was so young, obviously, when mm. she had him. But he doesn't know anything other than she gave him up. And Bella has no one. But do you think that this is her survival mechanism, like to create, to invent this history that isn't really hers or to connect with the history that isn't really hers? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because you don't know what her history is, right? And I think, especially within the New Zealand context, especially within a, a Maori yeah, context, yeah. Taika is a Maori man. Where you come from is so important. Like, I've spoken on the podcast before about, like, knowing your whakapapa yeah. and being able to trace it back to your marae, to your iwi, being able to name your mountain, name your river. This is a big part of Maori displacement across the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Contributes to a lot of... I, I guess dysphoria in a way that people can't connect to to their culture because they can't they don't know where they're from yeah but there is a movement for people who if they can't identify their marae and can't fuck up upper back generations to the original you know genus of their line you can claim a new place so people who maybe have made a home for themselves in wellington will fuck up upper to wellington like they will name the river and the mountains here as their river yeah. and the mountain because this is where they've settled so there is there is stuff like that so if she wants to claim that and that is what gives her a sense of self and like gives her a sense of belonging then i think that is a reasonable thing to do and she talks about the bush she obviously has a connection to yeah. the bush it's the white takare ranges just west of auckland twenty six thousand hectares of it or something like it's beautiful i every shot every aerial shot especially i was just like okay i need to hike new zealand <laughs> every time i mean you only have about a thousand huts to sleep in so that would be fine so many and actually that's the same for ricky right like because he is in state care he doesn't know who his father is his mother gave him up julian Dennison, the actor is of maori hmm. descent so you could make the you know you can make the assumption that ricky is also supposed to be of maori descent 
which again there's that loss of knowledge that loss of community that is so important to this cultural identity and this this placement within and then you can add the whole other political element onto it which i think is what makes this film really interesting as well because it's quite scathing of the systems of which it lives in like it's scathing of the prison system like hick obviously made some bad decisions he was in prison for manslaughter now he's basically a social pariah which is my whole beef with the prison system like if you're going to send people to jail and then claim do your crime do your time and you believe that that is what we use to redeem people then how can you send them out into the world with a a criminal record that prevents them from joining society like it's one or the other my guys make a decision it can't be (laughs) both look i i stumbled across the viewpoint not long ago that if somebody commits an act of like murder they're not in their right mind that is just a fact like if you murder someone you are not in your right mind and we have to stop treating it like it's a thing to be punished and more like a thing to be treated. Yeah, that's really interesting. That has really shifted my perspective, right? Like all of the antisocial behavior that we see, especially from Ricky, like it's kind of it's kind of funny, right? You get this funny montage in the beginning of like burning, loitering, graffiti, stealing, spitting. And like you see him doing all of these things. Like he kicks over a mailbox. He lights a mailbox on fire. He draws penises on everything. Like he's trying to fit in into what he thinks is like a gangster life because that's like what he those are the people he can look up to i mean he talks about the dead rapper tupac as being like his best friend so like this is who he's chosen to identify with and like these crimes aren't that bad but we've decided that this is what makes him antisocial and this that he can't be looked after in a foster home like we get told again and again that this is his last chance for juvie Mm. but that's interesting as well because there is a long history in new zealand around the child welfare service and the way that it's failed Mm -hmm. people particularly children of Māori and Pacifica descent is in the 70s and the 80s. There's actually a royal commission into abuse and state care going on right now, which the gangs in New Zealand are very actively involved in because you can trace the growth of gangs in New Zealand directly to this abuse and state care. So you've got this kid who the state just fails over and over again, who was alienated. You know, he talks about his friend Amber, where obviously something horrible happened. And these experiences that people have, these traumatic experiences that they have, the bonds they then form with the only people who have their back, who may then turn out to be gang members. Mm -hmm. This is how you end up in this, this place. Like you can't address gangs and antisocial behavior without addressing the root causes of that. Exactly. And I think, that's why I find this comparison with Rambo actually quite mm-hmm. interesting because people forget that Rambo is an incredibly political film. Like it's about the way that veterans were failed after the Vietnam War, which is at the time was quite controversial. I don't think I've watched that movie since I was a child and should not have been watching that movie. So I'll have to revisit that. <laughs> yeah, because Sylvester Stallone's character in that and he wrote that and directed it, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, maybe not directed it, but he wrote it. Definitely. Mm. He plays a, a Vietnam War vet who is a drifter and gets like sort of spat on by the community and pushed around and all these things. And then he ends up going back and like saving all these lives. But it's just like that whole narrative about Vietnam War veterans and how they were failed by yeah. the state that is sort of interrogated in yeah. that, which I think both these films state failure Absolutely. to protect people who need protection. And I think you're right. It does reflect on heck as well, right? He doesn't. He doesn't want to go Mm -hmm. back. He doesn't want to be in society because society locked him up for manslaughter and then chewed him up and spit him back out again. And Bella was really where he was able to land. But the way she talks about it is that he was pretty much a no-hoper when Mm -hmm. she found him. Yeah. And I think he's very cognizant of not wanting to get back to that. But I think about this like as a man who has a temper, has never been taught healthy ways to deal with that, has never been given a good outlet for the things he does know how to do well, has been failed in education, like he can't read. He doesn't feel up Mm -hmm. to running a a farm. He needs a supportive environment and he just isn't able to find that. Yeah, and it's interesting that once he sees that, he's willing to try. Like, we see him trying to read at the end. Yes. You know, I would suggest inspired by Ricky, but also the haiku. So obviously a therapist has taught Ricky to express himself and how to regulate. He writes these haikus. And then he writes this really lovely one about, you know, being with Heck. And then at the end of the film, Hector has written a haiku back to him. Yes. I love this idea of using art as a form of community, like as a way to bond ourselves together, like the books, the haikus, but also hex sketching. But it's also necessary for survival. Like art is so important for us to get through day to day life. And people don't appreciate that enough. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. I would like to say shout out to the New Zealand police. Yes. Whose one of their mottos is 
safer communities together. Yeah. So that is community. And we've got Andy out there fighting the good fight, despite Paula being a bloody kamikaze. Okay, let's talk about Andy, because he's one of my very favorite characters. Every time I watch this, I appreciate him more and more. He's just very chill. He's just not that like <laughs> interested in doing anything too aggressive. Like, he's actually quite letter of the law. Like, he says the things he's supposed to say. Like, please hand the boy over. Pull. I love that they're yelling at this in this chase scene at the end. They're yelling at Heck to pull over. And Ricky is driving. Like, and then Paula's like, you don't even have your full license. <laughs> that gets me every time. All of the things that Paula says are just, yeah. But yeah, Andy's great. And he's he's actually, like, able to see what's happening. Like, he's the one who sees the hunter with the actual mm. rifle and scope taking aim and he's the one who knocks him down and he doesn't have his taser I think I think I want to say shout out to Andy for never having a weapon when Paul is around him because this is a smart man do not do that she would have that weapon in like 0. 0.2 seconds it's also yeah accurate to the New Zealand police like when they say when Paula calls the cops and she's like but I want a real police ones with guns because we've got a whole separate unit that has to be summoned yeah. if there is a necessary need for people to be armed because our day to day cops aren't armed. Yes, I love that. Um and also I what I loved is you know when he go, um when Ricky goes to get help for the injured warden or sorry the ranger what was he? ranger yeah. the injured ranger he meets this family and he's like, can you radio a chopper? And she's like, I'll call the local yeah. cop. And that is 100% as well how it works in New Zealand, that a lot of our rural communities, you're lucky if there is one police officer who looks after the whole region. Yeah, I'll call the cop. Yeah, and she does and she has an argument with them and it's great. That's Kua and she's another one of my favorite characters and her dad, TK. Um, and this this is the family that Ricky is placed with once they're caught, once like it's all over, once their ridiculous fight is done. This is who he ends up living with. And he says he has to stick it out for a year. And he does. And they give him a hot water bottle. And that's how he knows that yeah. he's like, accepted and loved and, and home. And then he goes back for heck and he finds them work. He's not just like, come. he's like, if they've got a farm, they need a hand. Yeah. Like He gives them something to do. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love that. I love that little interlude we get because it's sort of like a dream, right? Like they're in the bush this whole time. They're on the run. They're stealing supplies. They're doing what they can to survive. But they go and help this ranger. And in order to do that, Ricky has to kind of like see what's happening in the real, in, in reality, in like a, a world that's not normal for him in that moment, but could be normal, like a normal life. Mm. He gets to have this like interlude of two people who just play guitar in the evening and sing, uh, watching, is it, are they watching rugby? Are they watching footy? What are they watching? Yeah, he was watching the Warriors play, the NRL. Yeah, yeah, and he was very distressed at how they were doing. Classic Warriors. <laughs> Except currently, they were almost in the final and everyone was losing their minds. Aww. The Vodafone even changed the name of our Wi-Fi signal to say up the was. <laughs> and we were in the middle of an election campaign and it seems that anytime no one knows what to say, they just go up the was. And it's very weird. It's like we're suffering a collective delusion <laughs> across the country. We just had that with... Um, Women's World Cup and the Matildas so yeah, it was like you couldn't throw a rock without hitting Matilda stuff it was great I really enjoyed it um, and then the dad you know wanting a selfie yeah so, like I just lovely just lovely I was like I would trust that man with my life and my infant children right immediately <laughs> you know they'd be fine you know they'd be fine Aww. so I like that you get that interlude where Ricky gets to sort of have like a normal day in a normal life. And then that's where he ends up going back to. I like that they fan the family liked him enough to say, hey, we'll put our hand up. And that's the part of community I really thought was interesting. Like there's definitely, mm. well, I can't speak to it, but I know that in a lot of communities, especially in, in Australia and in a lot of the indigenous communities in Australia, there are a lot of aunties and there are a lot of like grandmothers and carers and just for family friends who step in. And this was really normal for me when I was growing up too. Like we had kids who weren't raised by their parents and it just wasn't a mm -hmm. thing. Like we actually, yeah. the, the kids who were like formally adopted as like a, uh, you know, we're adopting a child that wasn't someone they already knew. That was weirder to me than just like, Oh, this person can't raise their kids for whatever reason. So their mom's raising their kids. Like that was normal. 
So that's really something that resonates with me is you do get this sort of like, oh, yeah, that's what the wider community is for. And I love that these people were able to sort of say, hey, we could be Ricky Baker's wider community. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a thing in the Maori and Pacifica communities yeah, that for sure. yeah, family, the kids would be raised by aunties, uncles. And I don't understand why Western cultures doesn't do this more. It makes sense. Like, I, mm, anyway. It really, yeah. Bizarre. It really does. I mean, I remember when I was really little, my mom showing me her will. I think it was like four or five. I was barely able to read. And she was explaining, like, if something happened to my dad and her, this is where I would go to live. These are the people that I would live with. And I was like, okay, so that's the plan. <laughs> like, But it wasn't just assumed. Like, you had to tell people so that they knew about it and they had to agree to it. It wasn't just like, oh, I'll take the mm. kids. Yeah. Um, boy actually goes into a lot more of that like actual lived experience which I think is it's a great film to watch it will rip your heart out though I will say that mm, sad it's, it's harder than this one to watch in a way um, I think that Ricky's anger at heck at the end is the like he's unable to acknowledge that their adventure is ending and I think that that it feels like a betrayal and that's why he's so angry but yeah it, it's like he's walking out on him yeah. right but he's just being the grown up it's just being sensible about it finally it does feel very true to life though that you sometimes have to protect kids by doing things that they don't understand or for their own good yeah absolutely it, the whole movie is just a whole bunch of that escalated quickly really yeah it goes it goes from zero to a hundred really quickly because you have these like I don't know it's just an escalation and I think you know Paula has to wear some of that because yeah. she's getting involved and she's like Way too keen, way too gung-ho. Yeah, yeah. Paula's a character. She's very interesting. I like that she really is committed to this, like, particular job. But I know that caseworkers in the U.S. have more than one kid. So, like, what is happening with all of her other kids? She's focusing this much time on finding one foster kid. I also she doesn't care about like I don't think she cares about Ricky she just wants to win yes that's true yeah I mean she I think she cares about him but not like on a personal level I think she's like yeah you're right like he has to be a success story yeah and um the Scroggin bribe is a classic one where she's like I don't know if other people know what Scroggin is but yeah. it's basically trail mix yeah it's trail mix but isn't it homemade trail mix like you make it yourself isn't that the distinction Oh, you can buy it at New World. <laughs> Scroggin mix. I didn't know what Scroggin was until I moved here. And I'm like, what is going on? Why are you saying words at me? Yeah, I had to Google it the first time I watched this movie. It's a bit like... Um, the chocolate... Yeah. The little chocolate chips in it is the best bit. Yeah. I was going to say. I will say. But then Andy eats the Scroggin. <laughs> Bless him. He needs all that energy to put up with Paula's shenanigans. Um... Yeah, I think it's just a really beautiful movie about what we have to do to survive and then how community helps us to actually, like, grow and thrive. And it's not about just survival anymore. It becomes about building something and yeah, tending to those connections. Absolutely agree. And I think Ricky really sums it up when he talks to... Um, what's her name? I keep forgetting her name. Is it The Kula? girl about it. Yeah. And he says, you know, he taught me all those skills and now we're like equal best Bushmen in the country. And he says, we're best friends. Like this sharing of skills, the skills needed for survival. Like Ricky really had to step up because Heck couldn't do it because his foot was broken. Mm. And now they have a little community and they're relying on each other. And yeah, they have a relationship to each other. It echoed the Tupac, the best rapper and my best friend. Yeah, I know. Which is great because the Heck's larger than life in some ways. He's still larger than life to Ricky. And Ricky's seen him, like, in very vulnerable, grumpy positions and still thinks of him as this, like, incredible, larger-than-life hero. Mm. Um, did you have any quotes that you wanted to point out? Oh, well, no child left behind. It's not the official <laughs> motto, but it's mine. Great. Um, it's not a quote, but it's like just when she's like, we have to inspect the property, looks fine. Like, she just, <laughs> she just doesn't, doesn't even go, go in. in. Oh, gosh, it cracks me up. I love it when they're like, she's poking at the paper plate and she says, this ain't no charred foster kid. And Andy goes, what makes you think that? How can you tell? And he's like, does this look like a human skull to you, Andy? And he's so deadpan. He's just like so over it. It's just the, 
But, you know, he feels like he has to do that. Like, Ricky feels he has to go to that extreme in order to survive, yeah. right? Like, that's how dire the situation is. I mean, but also he's 13, so he doesn't have a sense of proportionality yet. That just hasn't really gelled for him. I love that he goes, Andy, something definitely happened here, but I'm wondering what. <laughs> Excellent policing. 10 out of 10. I think the best part about Andy is that he's there when he when it counts. Um, another great quote, they think I'm crazy and Asian. <laughs> and then with the, with the hunters, the comedic relief trio of hunters, yeah. who are just a delight. And he's like, you know, he, he hurt you, son. And he says, nah, I fell in some prickles one time. And then Stan Walker's character's like, he pushed you in those prickles. <laughs> the delivery of it as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, And then he says to, you know, one of them says to Ricky to shut up. And Hex like, only I get to sh- tell him to shut up. And then Stan Walker's like, brainwasher. Ooh, brainwasher. <laughs> so funny. It's, it's just the humor is unreal. When they are running and Heck is like, maybe we don't need to run. And Ricky says, yes, let's just fast walk. Great. <laughs> Love that as well. And then the other one, he's a spanner in the works. And I'm the mechanic is going to take that spanner and put him back in the toolbox where he belongs. <laughs> okay, Paula, calm down. I know, she's so determined. The only other thing I noted was when Ricky spots them in the um, in the forest trying to find them. Like He goes ninjas because he sees yeah. the armed defenders. And then he goes dire wolves because he sees the dogs. And then he goes child, child welfare. welfare. <laughs> and the fact that you've put these like fictional threats in with child welfare just speaks to me. Yeah, tactical ops, uh, sniffer dogs, and child welfare. <laughs> so what? Like No police operation is going to let Paula swan about <laughs> bossing their staff about, but never mind. I know. And he did have to remind her of that later when she's doing a very bad job of the US Miranda rights she didn't even get them right but he's like that's not something that we say and you're not a cop it's over and he's so patient with her but like once it's actually done he he doesn't actually have to put up with it anymore so he just gently shuts it down which I think is wonderful what were your favorite quotes uh pretty much everything you said I also really loved (laughs) go away insect which is how I feel all the time (laughs) Kicking at it as well. <laughs> yes. And um, I love the whole Terminator discussion. I'll never stop chasing you. I'm relentless. I'm like the Terminator. I'm more like the Terminator than you. You're like Sarah Connor in the first movie before she could do chin-ups. <laughs> like, it's such a... Like, it's great, but it's a weird thing to say because doesn't Sarah Connor ultimately win? <laughs> like, why would you say she's Sarah Connor? Anyway. Yeah, because the Terminator's trying to get her. Yeah, before she could do chin-ups. <laughs> That's the part that always gets me. And I think the other quote that I really loved was, you know, after all of this angst and frustration and and sadness and just misery between each other, they've come to this understanding. And he, he finally, after they bury Zag, Ricky finally shows Heck that he's been carrying around Bella's ashes this whole time. Mm. And he says, so she's been with us the whole time. And then he says, it's pretty close to the sky up here. Thanks for bringing her, mate. And it's just really beautiful because they're able to say goodbye to her together in a way that's allowing them to, like, feel their feelings and grieve. And it is, like, Mm. their shared moment of, like, this is our family and this is our loss. And they hadn't, like you said before, they hadn't really experienced that at the funeral. The funeral wasn't that for them. Um, But it did take them having to go through this, like, really hectic adventure in order to get to that place where they could do this this one act of, of grieving together. Yeah, where they could be vulnerable with each other. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. Mm. And then my last one was yeah. um, his, Ricky's a haiku, which is trees, rivers, birds, sky, running with my uncle Heck, living forever. It's so nice. It's so and like, nice. I just love when Heck does his one and he goes, it was the best. Yes. And Ricky goes, yeah, it was the best. And he says to him, I've got one rule. You've got to let to call, let me call you uncle, which I just love. Yeah. that's. What I was trying to Google. I was doing a bit of research trying to think like, is this something that is normalized? Because I know in a lot of cultures, it is normalized. That is like a mark of respect you call elders. Like if you're a child, every woman is auntie. Every man is uncle. Like, that is just how you address them. Because that's something that's really common mm-hmm. in um, Indian culture, I've noticed. Everybody's auntie mm-hmm. uh, or uncle. And even when I was growing up, my mom's friends were not just their name. I wouldn't say Leanne. I would say Aunt Leanne. 
because I just thought that was normal. So there are definitely a lot of cultures, especially around the world, that do that. And I was wondering if Maori had that. And I think that is sort of a built-in thing. I know that's common here with Aboriginal cultures. It's um, You wouldn't just say everybody is auntie or uncle. You need to be, like, it's something you would ask if you could address somebody as, but generally. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have not come across it. It's quite interesting. I'd like to do more research on it at some point when I'm not, um, you know, fighting through a power outage, conserving my phone yeah. battery. <laughs> Um, I think that was about it for me. Did you have anyone you wanted to spotlight? I think I just really want to spotlight Ricky because he's, as Bella says, I can't even imagine what you've been through to get to this stage. And this mistrust he has of where he is, of he feels no safety, no protection. And then he finds Bella and he's like connecting with her and then she dies and it's just so sad and it's so great that he manages to forge this relationship with heck as well but he's still lost someone and it's probably the first person that he's felt was really in his corner and that's just really hard for him and i'm glad that he finds his community you know through all of this but still still rough it's really rough how about you well i've already spoken at length about andy so i think i'm gonna spotlight kua who is the girl on the horse i love her character because she's just very accepting very unflappable and she's just like very like she's the epitome of hospitality like get on the horse (laughs) come back with me do you want ice cream she opens the fridge and like gestures at it at the same time she's on the phone with their one cop yelling at them to get somebody to the ranger station like (laughs) she's just great and like her dad comes in and he's a bit embarrassing and she's just like oh fine whatever she sings a song she's just great and i feel like that's it's like ideal when you're just around somebody who's like a little bit offbeat but makes you feel great. I don't know. She's like the Kiwi Luna love good. I just love her. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- I do wonder how Ricky got on that horse. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I do love that he like falls off and she says, we need to work on your dismounts, bro. Because <laughs> she's riding that with no saddle. Mm-hmm. He is not like, you know, he's... A 13-year-old. <laughs> like, it's hard to get on a horse. I am assuming he found a rock and climbed up on the yeah. rock and, like, got a leg Climbed it on. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my guess. Mm. Well, thank you so much for watching this movie with me, for hanging yeah, out. For so fun. talking Kiwi humor, which is one of our very favorite things. It is great. It's a great time. I didn't even mention the Lord of the Rings reference in this, but, you know, there's a clear Lord of the Rings reference that Ricky himself says. I was trying to tell you, it's like Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Great. Love it. 10 out of 10. Can't do New Zealand without talking about Lord of the Rings. I know. It's just, it's part of the fabric of the society now. Oh, truly. Well, we're going to take... If you were a man in Wellington over six feet at the time (laughs) in the 2000s. You are in it. Yeah, you're definitely... You you needed to be an elf. And if you owned a horse in the South Island, then you are also in it. Because they needed all those riders of Rohan. Yep. And weren't a lot of them women in beards? Almost all of them were women, yes. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back for season 12. So we'll be reading The Raven King by Maggie Stevada through the theme of connection. Amazing. Final book. Can you believe it? Yeah. In the series. I know. Wow. It's going to be so good. Well, I'm going to cry my face off. You're probably going to be fine because you're always fine. You're amazing. (laughs) It's going to be amazing though. I can't wait. Jen, thank you so much for watching this movie and for hanging out with me today. It was wonderful. Always lovely to see you. Thank you for bearing through a power outage. Anytime. This is what uh, my two bars of 3G that I get in my bedroom are for. Great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll see you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Jen D and Jen V for this one shot. Martinelli Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review the show on your podcasting platform or choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at martinalypod.com. The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.martinalypod.com.